You ready to go? All right, good, because we're talking about politics today. Come on. That's awesome. You guys literally get up. So we're in this series called Five Surprising Things That God Loves. Last week we talked about laughter. Actually, really, it was about joy. And if you can get to watch it, I'd encourage you to watch it because when God comes into our lives, what we think is one thing always turns to something else. So it's not the kind of joy that the world gives you, but it's a different kind of joy. And so I'd encourage you to watch that. But this week, we call this week God Loves Purple. Now, last week I wore this shirt. I shouldn't have worn it. So last night I didn't wear it. My friend goes, come on, you have a purple shirt. You have to wear it again. So I'm wearing it again. So if you watch both weeks, I have the same shirt, and I know. But God loves purple. And as we head into this season, I don't know if I've seen a season quite like this for a midterm election. There is such a heightened awareness of everything that's happening in our culture. And there's this unbelievable polarization that has happened over the last several years that is drawing people apart. And it's making it very difficult to navigate these times. And so today we're gonna jump into that. We have a video message from two of our founding pastors, Dave Wilson and Steve Andrews, along with Cliff Johnson, uh, who's our lead pastor at Birmingham. But I wanted to give you some thoughts and I'm gonna do something different today. Uh, I'm not going, I, I always prepare a lot before I get up here. I never come up here and just wing it. I never have ever done that. It's not honorable to you, to God or to myself. I would never do that. But this time I'm gonna do a little bit different. I've spent a lot of time writing something that I, that I really want to stick to. And so I'm going to read more than I'm, I'm going to just step about and say some things to you. Because I want the words to be more exact. I want them to be as written. And so I just want you to listen to this a little bit. Uh, certainly, I would love to have conversations with you about it after. But I'm going to set the table, and then we're going to hear from some of our founding pastors in Cliff. There's a cliche phrase but a dangerous phrase that I heard growing up is this phrase. There are two things you should never talk about in public. Religion and? Thank you. Now, that phrase on the surface may seem innocent. But for much of my life, I believed in this teaching. I even lived it out. But what does it really imply? What does this phrase really mean and what effects has it had on our society? In some ways, it's saying this. Whatever you do, do not attempt to have a potentially challenging, meaningful conversation with others about some of the most important topics of our lifetime. Faith. Faith is the meaning and the purpose of our lives. How many of you say, why am I here? Just this morning, someone came in and I got a, the opportunity to pray with him. And what is he saying to me? What is the meaning and purpose of my life? Guess what? Welcome to the club. Every human being asks that question, why am I here? Faith. Politics, the relevant cultural happenings of our day, many times weave its way through politics. So the two most important topics of our lifetime, we're not to talk about in public. The statement applies it's not worth the cost to learn how to step into conversations that are going to be difficult, uncomfortable, and possibly lead to disagreements. It's not worth having, or it's not worth navigating the tension to gain experience and maturity and how to handle hard discussions. It's not worth fighting for how to learn from others and to possibly have our own personal views shaped, informed, challenged, influenced, and even possibly changed. The statement teaches us to be self-protected. In some ways, it implies that we shouldn't trust God. 
in some of the hardest parts of our life as humans, to play it safe, to not enter into essential and hard conversations of our life, or worse yet, it teaches us to lash out or be aggressive, protecting our own worldviews. In some ways, this concept I think is responsible, or this statement or this teaching is responsible for a lack of ability we have in our culture today to engage deeply in meaningful civil discourse. I've heard it said this way, being taught to avoid to talk about politics and religion has led to a lack of understanding of politics and religion. I believe that. I believe there's truth to this statement. So why do we avoid these topics in public forums, even privately? Thanksgiving's coming up, by the way. One of the factors is the fear that comes with having our own personal worldview and beliefs deeply challenged. Whether we know it or not, all of us have a worldview. I don't know if you've thought about that. It's the central view that we have that gives our life context and shape. It is how we view God, the world, others, and ourselves. It is influenced by the many facets of our existence, where we were born, where our family was born into, what circumstances we entered into, and the time and place in history that we've arrived. If that worldview gets challenged, it can produce fear. Because we might believe that if our worldview is wrong, we are wrong. If aspects of our, our, our beliefs are false, then maybe we are false. Our worldview, maybe or our world as we know it, may come tumbling down, and that's a scary thought, or it can be. And because of our worldview, we have a particular way that we see the world. Because of all of our circumstances, we see the world through a particular lens. And we all have to know our lens. It's really important to know your lens. I have a lens. When I stand up here on this stage, in this city, of who I am, when I preach the gospel, I'm preaching through a particular lens. I'm white. I'm male. I'm educated. I'm middle class. I'm wealthy, beyond wealthy compared to the world. That's a lens. Because of what I was born into, because of where I was born, I have power and privileges that people in our own country and around the world don't have or may never have. Now, listen to me. I don't have to apologize for my lens, but I don't have to boast about my lens. I just have to know my lens. And we all have different worldviews. We all have different lenses that we look through and they aren't good and they aren't bad. They are just what they are, but they are limited and they are biased. They are limited and they are biased. And the fact of the matter is, here's what we need. We need other people's lenses. We need other people's worldviews to help inform our views. We need each other. We belong to each other. Guess what? The kingdom of God designed it that way. God designed it that we belong to each other. We need each other's perspectives to inform our worldviews to create a bigger and wider and deeper view of God, of others, of ourselves in the world. What I'm witnessing in this time, especially in Western politics, there is a doubling down on worldviews and an inability in our society to have a real, deep, meaningful dialogue, taking into consideration other people's worldviews and lenses. There's this fear in our culture, a fear to step into conversations and dialogue that challenges our views. Instead, there's a sense that we're digging in our heels deeper and, and there, was, there, was, there was research in a Pew study I just read a few days ago. From 1994 to 2014, the political parties, especially the Democrats and Republicans, 
there, there is a wider gap and a polarization that's happening over the last 10 years. Actually, it's been 14 now. I'm sure it's even wider over the last four years. It's an us versus them mentality. And I'll tell you this, within the church, I see it happening too. And it's so sad to me. It is so heartbreaking to me. We are not trusting God to help us navigate the tough situations of our times. We're not letting God guide us through difficult conversations of culture and politics and religion. At times, I think we believe in trusting more in government leaders and policies rather than Christ and his kingdom. It's an interesting thing as I start looking through my life. Throughout my lifetime, there have been nine administrations, five Republican, four Democrat. There have been 11 distinct presidents. One of them, just before I was born, his life was taken. And Lyndon Johnson had to step in as vice president. Another one had illegal activity, and he resigned, the only one. Gerald Ford stepped in. Amazing to me. Nine administrations, 11 presidents. During my 51 years of living, the United States has been through major wars, numerous conflicts, terrorism, fallen towers and towers restored, walls torn down and walls built up, presidential scandals, administrative successes. I've seen gas prices from 67 cents (laughs) to over $4. 67 cents. Oh, I wish that was true right now. (laughs) There have been oil crises. Car company bankruptcies, times of great financial flourishing, and times of the most devastating financial loss since the Great Depression. All of this under differing political opinions, worldviews, administrations, and leaders. One thing we know about history, kingdoms will rise and kingdoms will fall. Even the mightiest of kings and kingdoms in history have had their time and then they faded. Jesus came to bring another way. I hope you hear that today. Jesus came to bring another way, a different kind of kingdom with different kind of values, another worldview. Here's a newsflash maybe for some of you. Jesus isn't a Democrat. Jesus isn't a Republican. He's not. He's not a party. Jesus isn't Western. He's not American. Jesus is not just for one people, but he is for all people. Jesus has a kingdom that is not of this world. He's got a kingdom that is not of this world. It's a different worldview and a different lens. And guess what? This worldview is available to all people. All people. So here's the questions for us today. I want those in your mind. I want that vision in your mind, especially for us here at Kenzie. I just want that vision in your mind. Here's the questions for for today. What is the worldview of Jesus? Where do we place our trust in times of unrest? Where do we find our peace? How do we learn to have real, honest, and meaningful discourse in this polarizing and dualistic time in our culture? How do we enter this season of politics with a sense of hope and a sense of purpose? Are you heading to the polls Tuesday? Look, I have so much hope and purpose. Maybe you are, maybe you're not. Here's what I will say to us. It is imperative that you go to the polls. There has been so much loss in fighting and frontline work for us in this country to be able to do what we're gonna do on Tuesday. Let's not waste that. It's a beautiful privilege that we get 
on the backs of people that have given their lives, literally. So engage, 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 engage. Your voice needs to be heard. Two of our founding pastors, like I said, Steve Andrews and Dave Wilson, along with Cliff Johnson, are giving us some thoughts, some uh, additional thoughts to go along with what I just gave you. Uh, before uh, this, I'd like to pray. And uh, I really do wanna pray and to ask God to enter in, because I know, believe me, I know that when you walked into church, the last thing you wanna hear about is politics, but I think it's so important that we don't stay silent and that we talk about it. Let me pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you, uh, Father, that you bring your son into this world to show us a new kingdom, a new way. But Lord, he did enter into a time and a place in politics as well. And he did not shun away from those. Give Caesar what's due Caesar, give God what's due God. Engage. Father, would you help us engage fully with our hearts at this time in history? Would you let our voices be heard? But more importantly, Lord, would you let our eyes be fixed on you, knowing that we're building your kingdom that has eternal value and eternal purpose, that there is no world leader that is ever gonna take us to your kingdom. Only you can do that. We pray in Jesus' name for that. Amen. Let's watch this together. Well, today we are talking something we don't always talk about here. We're talking politics. In fact, mm -hmm. we call today God Loves Purple, which is as you look at us, you realize that means God loves Cliff Johnson because he's the only one wearing purple today. <laughs> uh, Cliff is our, our Birmingham campus pastor and Steve Andrews sitting over there without purple. Yeah, is I don't know purple. You don't know purple? <laughs> no. Yeah, I don't know purple either. That's the only reason you're wearing this. I'm all about the pastels, it. apparently. <laughs> but we do want to say this. I mean, Tuesday is voting day. And one of the reasons we're talking about this is we encourage you and us to get in the voting booth. We need to be involved. We need to get there. We need to make our voice heard. And I want to say, man, there's so many people at Kensington that are involved in campaigns and, and, and making their voice heard. Way to go. I mean, way to be involved. And so we want to give a perspective on sort of uh, God's heart on this whole thing on government and politics. And it's interesting, uh, one of the things I thought, no jokes today. You know, I don't approve of political jokes because I've seen uh, too many of them elected. I think that's wise, yeah. You didn't even catch that. Oh. I've, I've seen too many political jokes elected. Anyway, <laughs> that's it. We're done, we're done with political jokes. That. Sorry. that was it. You, you almost ruined my joke, dude. I did ruin it. Timing, it's all about timing. Oh. But, but here's the truth, let's, let's, let's get serious. Mm. Um, the divisiveness in our culture today is unparalleled, I think. It was, mm. it was interesting. Cliff and I uh, joined a buddy on Saturday, this couple Saturdays ago, and watched the Michigan State-Michigan game, which, by the way, there's division right there. <laughs> oh, you my. Know? Almost yeah. wore some go blue up here. Yeah. But, I mean, remember when it, when it went to that lightning delay in the game, uh, somehow politics came up. Interesting that that comes up at a, at a party. Yeah. And immediately there was a joke made about the separation of parties and John, the host of the party, 70-year-old man somewhere in there, just got pretty strong about the divisiveness yeah. he's seen in our country he's never seen before since the 60s. It's just crazy how split we are. Mm. I mean, it's interesting. I saw, I saw a graph that explains sort of our, our divisiveness. Look at this graph. It's interesting. It shows that when it comes to uh, race and education and gender and even religion, we're not as far apart as we think we are. Mm -hmm. It's like... 10 percentage points. We actually think a lot alike on these things, even though it feels like we're divisive. But when you look at this graph and you see where we are today in 2017, 2018 in political parties, it jumps triple. 
Mm. It has just escalated like never before. And it's interesting that we, we can't get along and we have intense anger uh, about these opinions toward people. So the question is that we mm. want to try and answer is, how do we negotiate that? Yeah. Isn't it interesting that we, uh, we vilify the other person yeah. we disagree with, but we ignore like our own deficiencies. There's this, this incredible barrier. I'm right, barrier. you're wrong. Yeah. Yeah, so, so help us, man. Yeah, so I, I think as we look how to, how to move forward and how to, how to operate in this world where we see these deep divisions, I think the first place we start is we look at how did Jesus negotiate yeah. this divide? How did Jesus mm -hmm. move forward in a culture that was arguably as divided as ours, maybe more so? Mm -hmm. um, and part of that was you had the Jewish people were being oppressed by the Roman Empire. And so right away, you've got this, this world empire that's dominating and they've come in and now they have taken away your rights and they've oppressed your people. And so within that context, you've got different ideologies springing up. There were those like the Sadducees that believed, hey, you know what, we can't beat them, let's just join them. And so they sided with the Romans and they enriched themselves. Mm -hmm. And there were people in that culture that hated the Sadducees or especially they hated a group of people called the tax collectors because tax collectors, as we've talked about before um, in here, the tax collectors actually enriched themselves by overcharging for the taxes that Rome mm -hmm. expected for them to collect. And so here's someone that you grew up with, your next door neighbor, and at a certain point he grows up and he decides he's gonna collect taxes for the oppressor. And he doesn't make money just collecting what's due. He makes money collecting the overage that he can charge. And so these guys were the most hated turncoats. They weren't even allowed into the inner courts of the temple. Mm -hmm. They were completely shunned by society because of what they'd done. And then you've got these other groups, a group called the Zealots that believed that their way forward was to violently overthrow the oppressor. And so what's interesting is you have these, these deep divides that were happening. And Jesus was asked a very interesting question in uh, Matthew chapter 22, when they asked him, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? A lawyer posed this question. It was posed to him at different times. And the reason this question was asked was they were trying to determine where Jesus stood on this mm -hmm. stuff politically because the way that you ordered the commandments dictated your, the ideology of how you functioned in this society and, and under this oppressive regime. Uh, because the, the idea was to always obey the higher commandment. That was the greater value. And so everyone shared in the Jewish world, everyone shared the highest commandment, the greatest commandment without question was, love the Lord your God. As it says, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. There wasn't much debate about that. Both groups shared that belief. But where things differed, was what was the second commandment? What was the second most important thing? There was a school of thought that put the second commandment as, you shall have no other gods before me. So no idols. And then the third command for that group was, love your neighbor as yourself. And then there was another group of that time that said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself was the second one, and then you shall have no other gods before oh, me. Wow. So what happened with that was that mm. in in that way of thinking, it was people over policy. It was loving the Romans, even though you need to try to, you know, they were, they were idolaters because they worshiped Caesar. But with this other group that put the idolatry over 
the loving your neighbors, that gave rise to the zealots. That gave rise to terrorism because in their mind, just like we see today, they were serving God by overthrowing violently idolaters. Mm. So a zealot would love to do things like uh, assassinations publicly or a violent overthrow. And one of their Mm. favorite targets was a tax collector or a Sadducee (laughs) because they had turned their backs on their people in their mind. And then, so they asked Jesus this question. Look how Jesus answers. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And this is the second command and it's equal to the first. In other words, he's saying that Jesus is people over policy. This is that picture where Jesus chooses the cross over the crown. He chooses not to overthrow the Romans and see many Romans die. He chooses to give his life for the Romans. And so when you think about that, think about that idea, we see, we see similar things happening today where our policy can get over the people and we, and we get into our corners and we get our divisions and, and that happens. So how do we move forward in that way? And we look at Jesus, what did Jesus do? In this his, is amazing. It in really his is. discipleship group, yeah. he has all these different people. And in Luke chapter six, it says that Jesus left this larger group of disciples, went up on a hillside to pray all night and he came down and he chose the 12 intentionally. And within his 12 is someone by the name of Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. Mm. Jesus wow. chose absolute political enemies and even created a dangerous tension within his inner circle. Mm-hmm. And, and yet somehow in Jesus and his kingdom, there became unity, peace, brotherhood, and love through that. And when we look at that and when we see that, so when you think about, here's Matthew, the tax collector, probably nervous a lot, not sleeping near Simon at first, I would assume, when they all kind of, you know, would go to bed at night. They're sitting there at the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, you've heard it said, you know, but I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This wasn't just impacting the people on the hill. This was impacting his own disciples. Wow. And I think it's a beautiful picture. And the question for me and for all of us to think about is, am I intentionally pursuing friendships and relationships with people that think differently than I do? Right. People who have opposite views that I do. And am I putting together a group of people that differ, but because Jesus is in my life, he can bring us together in the most improbable way. And one of the questions mm-hmm. that raises, because what an unbelievable example that Jesus gave to us is what would that look like for us? Yeah. Like in the church, like Steve, as you think about Kensington, how's that look for this community? Well, in listening to that, I, just, I feel like in the early days of Kensington, I missed that a little bit. I think I was too much in like suburban, uh, just kind of a single culture world. I wasn't thinking about kind of broadening that out. And yet through the years that we've been here, God's brought the whole world mm-hmm. to this community. And I thought the dream for me, Cliff, as you're talking, is that Kensington would be a, a place where all the parties, all the political parties would be welcome, where people would be, have diametrically opposed views and yet still come together in Christ to, to love each other and care about each other. And I, I think there were times in my life I didn't think that was possible. And it was about nine years ago, the first time I met uh, uh, Palestinians in the West Bank of, in Israel who have a ministry called Masalaha, which is uh, the word actually means reconciliation, where they take Jews, Muslims, and Christian young people out into the desert, and they give them 
a camel for three kids that they have to care and take turns riding. They together. sleep together. Yeah. 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 So they have a, a group, maybe there's 20 people and a third of them are Christian kids, Messianic Jews, others, regular Jews, Muslims, uh, and then Christian, Palestinian Christians. And what they've learned is that they don't agree about anything, but that Jesus Christ can, can bring them together. I thought that is the vision for the church. And, you know, I thought, I don't want to be a church of all Republicans or all Democrats. I want, I want us to be a place where people are coming together. And I thought this, our culture is obsessed with our rights and our happiness. And Jesus, as you already said, was about giving up our rights and pursuing holiness. And I thought Tim Keller really, really captured talking about Jonah. Jonah was um, a prophet in the Old Testament. And a lot of you remember from a children's story, maybe that he was swallowed by a whale because he ran from God. He didn't want to go to the people of Nineveh. And it's probable that his, the people of Nineveh had actually assassinated his father, who was a prophet. And God said, go to these people. He said, I'm not going to go to these people. I hate these people. Even when he ended up going, the people turned back to God. He was mad at God because he wanted God to destroy them. And I thought, God says, how can you say you love me and have no compassion? And I thought, our dream is that everybody that comes into this place and into our, our movement would feel the compassion of God. That, that would be my hope, my dream. Yeah, and it's, it, it really is interesting when you think about the divisiveness in our country, the, the whole perspective on politics, which we should all be involved in. We should not be silent. We should speak our opinions, speak our voice. It's very important to be involved. To not be involved politically, right, is to say the status quo is okay. No, we need to speak up against racial injustice. We need to get involved. Tuesday, every church-going person should be in that voting booth. It shouldn't be like, oh, I'm just gonna throw up my hands, I'm not gonna. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, as we're talking about, it's like, what is God's heart on this thing one of the passages I think of that we've talked about is you go back to the Old Testament and you have this, this situation where Joshua is leading Israel into the promised land, right? He's like, and it's going to be a battle. And so there's enemies that are against him and he sees them as the enemy and I'm on God's side, right? Mm. And so this angel shows up. I'll read it to you. It's in Joshua 5. It says this, now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Now picture this scene. I mean, you, if you see this dude standing there, and, and often we have this picture of angels as these little, you know, these little babies floating with wings in heaven. It's like, no, <laughs> angels were Navy SEALs. And this guy has got a, a sword drawn. So it's like, I would think the same thing. Are you with me? Are you gonna help me? Are you gonna, obviously you got your sword drawn. You're gonna come with me. We're gonna go in and attack. And he says, so are you for me or are you for the enemies? And look at the answer. This is a, a perspective we need. Yeah. He says, neither, he replied, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua mm-hmm. fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So, I mean, you talk about a perspective. He's like, I'm not for your side. I'm not for their side. I'm on God's side. And when that happened, it was like, oh my gosh, this is, it's like we peeled back and said, there aren't political sides. There is one side and it's God. In fact, that's where we came up with this this, uh, title today. We, We didn't know what to call this weekend. 
five surprising things God loves. Last week was laughter. Next week's rest and leisure. And we're like, God loves government? No. God loves politicians? Yes, but no. Then we came up with God loves purple. It's like, does God love red? Well, a lot of people think, yeah, that God loves red. He's the public. God loves blue. Yeah, God. And then there it is. And I'm like, no, no, no. God actually is on God's side. So what's red and blue together? It's purple. So Cliff, you representing what's about? A lot of happy about. Viking fans out there this week. Yeah, right. <laughs> he definitely doesn't love the Vikings. I can tell you that right now. He loves the Lions. But, but, but think about this. God is on God's side. In fact, I wrote down in my notes, I, I, I think I saw this somewhere. It's so well said. It says, we can't be married to the agenda of the donkey or the elephant. We must be married to the party of the lamb. And, it, and again, mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a perspective that you both were talking about. At Kensington, we dreamed of a community of people that would be in love with purple. I love Democrats. I love Republicans. Do we have different opinions? Yes. Am I going to tell you what I am? No. doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. I want to be on God's side. Now, think about this. Uh, you know, people, I, I've gotten emails. We need to stand up and, 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 and talk about telling people who to vote for and how to vote and that kind of thing. It's like, no, I'll never do that. You know why? Jesus never did that. Hmm. You talk about a, a person that could have walked into a politically charged environment, oh my gosh, and spoke, actually could have overthrown it and refused to. There's only one even verse where he even mentions politics and it's Caesar. And it's interesting, you know, as they bring that coin and again, they're trying to trick him. And what's he say? Render unto Caesar's what is Caesar's and unto man what is man. It's like, Who's Under images? God, what is God's? Yeah. yeah. Caesar to Caesar, God yeah, to God. I can't even read it right. Yeah. It's right here. Yeah, try it again. <laughs> so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God, Matthew 22, 21. <laughs> I never want to get scripture wrong and Steve will make sure that doesn't happen. <laughs> but I mean, what's, what's his point? His point is what image is on the coin? Caesar's. Yeah. He's yeah. the king, we'll give it to him. What mm. image is on us? Mm. Not a king. Mm. It's God. Wow. So we're made in God's image. So that's sort of the purple thing. It's like, oh my gosh, give everything you've got to God, hmm. surrender to God. And think about this. That's what Joshua did. Yeah. When he said, the ground you're standing on is holy. It's like you're in the presence of God right now. Bow down and repent. There is no sides. And man, one of my hopes would be, even as a result of today, as we think about what we do Tuesday, is we would repent as a people of our divisiveness. When I have said things I should never say about somebody that thinks differently of me, looks differently of me, repent. God loves everyone, Democrats, Republicans, everyone. God is right in the center saying, I'm the king, I'm in control. Bow down and worship me Mm. and go vote vote your heart. Go make a difference in that voting booth on Tuesday. So we're, we're... we're running out of time. We want to take some time to be able to speak today in the service. So final thoughts. Cliff. Well, I, I think when you talk about Jesus being worthy of worship and, and that we need to surrender our lives, what I think is such a, a great example of that is, so here's Jesus. As we talked earlier, Jesus has this diverse group of disciples, many zealots in it, specifically Simon the zealot is named Matthew the tax collector, this ex- potentially explosive pairing and yet Jesus, in John chapter 13, it says Jesus on the night before, he, the night he was betrayed, showed the disciples the full extent of his love. And what did he do? Before he downloads into their minds the last you know, four chapters of teaching, 
he does something very powerful and very instructive, I think. Mm -hmm. And what does Jesus do? But he washes their feet. Here's the king of kings. Again, it's a culture where in, in Roman belief system and the, and the belief of the kingdoms of the world was that the idea when, when you became Caesar, a man ascended to become a God. That was the goal. That was the highest point of existence was to be that deity. And yet here's Jesus Christ, God, who became a man in order to save us. Not only did he become a man, but then he lowered himself to become a servant. And by becoming a servant to us, he washes his disciples' feet. And I think what's so beautiful about that is you look around that room, and of course, Peter fights it. I don't want you to wash my feet because it was so demeaning for yeah. someone, especially in a rabbi, rabbinic culture. Your rabbi would never do that to you, but Jesus does it as an example to mm -hmm. say, serve people, serve, become nothing, become the least. And when I think about how do we live this way, it's what does it look like for me to lay down my rights? What does it yeah. look like for me to surrender and love the people that are in my life? the people that I've intentionally pursued relationships with that don't think like I think, that don't believe what I believe, that don't live the same lifestyle that I live, that don't have the same values that I have. What does it look like for me to love them? Is it to win an argument? Is it to stay in my camp so strongly and sit behind a keyboard and sling arrows at their belief system? Or is it to love them and to see that maybe 1 Peter 3.15 is so strong in this. Always be prepared to give an answer for the reason for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Yeah, I want to. I want to add to that. Is I just I want to encourage people that are listening today, to to fully engage too. Yeah. To say fully engage in government, run run for office. Uh, I, I know of a young teenage gal who's been canvassing neighborhoods for awesome. the last two months. Uh, Jesus has called us into every sphere of society: education, the arts, economics. And as we think about government, I thought about let's work for the things that are close to Jesus' heart. We won't always agree on everything that that is. But we know that God cares for the marginal and the dispossessed and protecting the weak. We know he cares about education and people's health and, and, and security, freedom. All these things really, really matter. We, we know that God cares about the dignity of every human being. And I just thought, let's work for these things. And this is a, this is a high calling. But at the same time, not only fully engage, but fully respect Never give up. Let's never give up on being a place where people bring these divergent views together to love and to respect each other. And I just want to, I just want to say something really personal here. My kids and I, my wife and I, disagree on so many things politically. So this is not a conversation out there. Mm. <laughs> this is a conversation in my home. And uh, my kids shred me regularly. And, and, and I thought... Do I want to do to my kids what the world is doing to each other or what I've done to other people who I don't know? There's no way. I don't want to vilify them or condemn them. I want to listen and engage. I want to learn. And, 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 and I've learned that a lot of times it's listening without answering, mm. pondering, thinking about this. So to all of us here, I just thought, what, the dream now, it's become more focused in my mind. My dream is that every person in Kensington would know an immigrant family deeply mm. personally. My dream is that every one of us would know someone else who's tasted real oppression and, and prejudice in their life and know their story without trying to defend my side or our side, that we would engage the people of this world as Jesus did. That, to me, would be an amazing thing to experience. And, and, and I would just add, that, that would be a powerful community that would shout to the world, mm. we love you, 
And that draws people. Love always draws people. And then we can point them to where our hope is. And that would be my final thought as we wrap this up is, is just a reminder for all of us, especially in my own heart, where I find hope. It's never gonna be in a candidate or a political party or system, which are all great, but hope is gonna be vertical. Yeah. I mean, it really is. I mean, you think, you think uh, if you did a study of the walk through the Old Testament, it's really interesting. Man asked God for a king. And God said, I'm your king. Yeah, I know, but we need an earthly king. And so he said, okay, I gave him a king. And as you study all the kings and you get to the end of that journey, you realize no king ever satisfied. They were always let down. They're hoping mm -hmm. a king never, and we do the same thing. It's like some person or some party, it'll never, ever satisfy. Here's, what, here's where I'd end. I go to what Jesus said to his disciples and to all of us in Matthew 6. It's a famous passage, but he said this. He says, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? We all do this. We're worried about, you know, our life. And he says, mm -hmm. for the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. What's he saying? Those who don't believe in God, that's what they chase after all day long. And your father knows you need them. But he says, but you, we know God. And so he says, we should have a different perspective. And he says this, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Here's what I would say to all of us. If you want hope, if you want peace, you're never gonna find it in an earthly king or a political leader. We're never gonna find it. You find it one place. Fix our eyes vertically on Jesus. Seek the kingdom of God first. I come back to that a lot. In, in my life. Seek the kingdom of God first and all of these things will be given to you. Seek the kingdom of God first. To me, that is really, uh, honestly, the, the heartbeat of what we're talking about today. And I love what Cliff said, that Jesus, when he assembled his core team, what did he do? He assembled a core team that had different lenses that had different worldviews. In fact, some of them were polar opposites, even enemies, but he put them together in this small group and he started to teach them about his kingdom. And they learned, I'm sure, from each other. We need people of diversity around us. And we're gonna watch a story in a minute about a friend of ours, Reuben Marion Call. He, he does ministry in one of the most war-torn, intense places of the world, South Sudan. The government there has completely collapsed. There really is no government there. And when the kingdom of God entered into this situation, it brought something way different because the kingdom of God is built on such different principles. And so we're gonna, we're gonna uh, share that story. I'm gonna share a few more scriptures with you and a couple thoughts. Uh, before we do that, we're gonna uh, receive our offering. So if you've come prepared to give, awesome. Uh, thank you. And I know 80% of us give online. Uh, there's a number of different ways that we give. We can give on our website, uh, kensichurch.org. You can give on the app. It's real quick. Uh, and you can also text 77977 or you can put it in the pouch uh, today. If you're brand new here, this does not have to be your moment on any level. If you want to take part, awesome. But you don't have to feel that. When you walk out in the lobby, there's something called the hub. We'd love to shake your hand, tell you about this big place and uh, connect you in. But we do give because we really do believe, number one, it's an act of worship. Thank you, Lord, for what you've given us. We want to give that back to you and honor and give everything we can. And then we want to be part of a movement that builds God's kingdom. And so if you're part of that, thank you. But that whole idea of having diversity in your life is huge. 
He goes, as you have people and different people in your life that are people of diversity, you start to see the world differently. You start to see people differently. You start to see situations differently. You start to see yourselves differently. Many of you know uh, that years ago, this past Friday, actually, we celebrated our 10-year anniversary of our youngest daughter being with us uh, here in the States. We adopted three teenage girls from Honduras. Uh, they were teenagers, 13, 14, and 15. We met them in 2005. When they got here, they were 19, 19, and 17. They were women. <laughs> and so, uh, and it's just been a wild journey. And it was such a beautiful thing to wake up Friday and celebrate with our, our daughter, Johanna, and just say, what a gift you've been to our family. She has just unbelievably opened up our family. And two of our daughters are back in Honduras. So I'm going to say this. When I see the caravan coming to our country, it looks differently. Actually, when I see the caravan, I see this. this. Put up those pictures. That's my daughter, Anna, and that's my grandson, Joseph. I have another grandson, Josiah. You see this next picture. Go ahead to that one. That's Josiah. He was just born. Now, yeah, I know. All of you are like, oh, my gosh. I know. It's just so beautiful. When I, where my daughters live is San Pedro Sula. It is one of the most intense places of the world. It is the murder capital of the world, actually. It keeps going back and forth. What my daughters live in day to day, we know intimately. Because they're our daughters. They're our family. Now, this isn't a political statement on any level. This is a family statement and a personal statement. There's all kinds of laws and different things, and I'm all for that. I'm like, I get it. But when you have different people in your life and different lenses and different worldviews, it opens up really wide. Can't help but have that happen. Jesus designed it that way, the family of God, so that we could see from all perspectives and speak into it with that kind of maturity and that kind of insight. And so really what we're gonna see in this, in this next video is this concept of God's kingdom entering in and opening up eyes of people that were absolute enemies and starting a whole different conversation based off a whole different set of kingdom values. These royal, you know, purple is the color of royalty. This royal kingdom that God brings that actually can break down walls and restore and have absolute restoration power. In fact, the, the prophet Isaiah speaks of that in Isaiah 58. Let me read it to you. Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. These are the kingdom values. This is God entering in. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. I've been meditating on this one. The Lord will guide you always. It will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and raise up the age-old foundations. And then I want you to hear this last line. You will be called repairer of broken walls and restorer of streets with dwellings. That's my dream for our community. That we are a community that repairs broken walls and restores streets with dwellings. As you step into this video and you see Reuben step in with his friend, you'll start to see that when the kingdom enters in and God's people represent the kingdom on this earth, that there's repairing that happens 
and there's restoration, and there's something so much bigger that happens. And so take this in. Steve Andrews is going to give us just a little bit of thought of how we're heading into our year-end time here at Kensington, and then you're going to fall into this amazing video that is what is happening right now in our midst. Has there ever been a time in history where we are more immediately inundated with news that tends to bring us to despair or to give up hope? Do you realize that when you invest in a year-end Christmas gift at Kensington, that the opposite is true? That you're actually seeing hope and joy and love and peace come to the world? We're seeing that in so many countries in the world, explosive church planting movements. And probably none is more amazing or more miraculous than what is happening in the new country of South Sudan. Ruben Mariakal, our partner, and his friends in South Sudan are putting their life on the line each day. They literally don't know from day to day if they're gonna live or die. But in the midst of this, overwhelming peace is coming to the world. And so today, as you watch this amazing story of this unlikely hero, a man named Nicodemus, realize that you and I get to be a part of something that is so unlikely and so amazing. When you give, we get to be a part of what Jesus Christ is doing in the world. country, peace is rare. People are so used to fighting that many have given up hope that things can change. But God says, blessed are the peacemakers. And sometimes those that bring peace are the ones that no one expects. South Sudan, the newest country in the world, and it's located in East Central Africa. And this whole region has been in conflict and ravaged by war in the past 60 years. And actually, it's not getting better, it's getting a whole lot worse. In fact, the compound that we're staying in just a few weeks ago had a bunch of rebels that had come through with guns and threatening violence, and everyone there just did not know what was going to happen. Fueled by racism, political strife, religious persecution, the price of the conflict has been very high. There's actual active landmines just a few feet away from where children are playing. Everyone here lives in a state of uncertainty, not knowing what tomorrow will hold. They all live in fear and long for peace.
when you see a man having uh, marks on the head or on the shoulder, that one uh, means the number of the people that a person has killed during the war. And then when you see the women, you see some women are having marks, that one also shows the husband of the woman has killed many men. They share that glory in the, in, in the name of husband. So she acts like the husband is a hero. My testimony is about my sister's son. The child grew at my home for more than 10 years. When he was making the 12 year, the child was taken back to the village he was transferred to the cattle camp. When he reached the cattle camp, they went to the field where the cows are grazing. Then another tribe that used to attack the Toposa tribe called Boya came and raided the cows. And then on the process of raiding, the child was caught by a group of more than 10 men. They used a knife then they slaughtered the boy. The people took me there using a motorbike to the place where the child was killed. So I went and I saw the body of the child lying on the ground. One hand was cut, then the other hand also was cut. The leg was cut, the head is far away from the body. I was not happy. I became very hungry. So I buried the boy, and then I came back to the village. So I wanted to take one gun to follow the men where they have gone. My aim was to go and clear them all. As you see this mark on my face, this three Men have killed three people, and uh, I was used to it. What was in my body, in my heart, was only to have a revenge. I was only aiming for a revenge. Then one gun which was left in the village was hidden somewhere because they knew that I loved the boy, and my aim was if I am to get a gun, I was going to clear even 50 men in that place. So I grew very annoyed in which I was even almost hung myself when the people went and uh, hide the gun. The only way was to go and hang myself, but the people went and advised me. Tormented by the death of his nephew and unable to find his gun, Nicodemus reached a level of despair that led him into considering taking his own life. It was while searching for a weapon in a nearby village that he ran into Reuben Mariacal who would eventually become his mentor and spiritual advisor. The life that Nicodemus had before getting Christ, is, his aim was to be the, the hero of the village. And being a hero is to raid as many tribes, uh, the surrounding tribes as possible, is to kill as many people as possible. But once he encountered Christ, there was a radical change in his heart. Other people went and advised me until they brought me back to Kapweta here. 
whereby I met with Pastor Ruben and then with other believers. They had to advise me and say, that is not the way. Try to have peace in your heart. So I went and I stayed for more than 20 days until I forgive those people. Christ replaced this problem in me. I had to have peace again. As I am now, I'm going always to the church. I am also advising others who have the same grievances like the way I used to have. So I see Nicodemus, and he no longer views the other tribes as enemies. He views them as objects of the grace of Christ, and they're candidates of heaven. And that's why he has now the desire to reach out to the other villages as his friends. Since his encounter with Jesus, Nicodemus has been radically transformed. Under Reuben's guidance, he now plants churches in the very fields where the Toposa, Dinga, and other neighboring tribes have violently clashed for centuries. Armed with nothing more than the gospel and a motorcycle, he brings peace to a region that many believed impossible to reach. So we have two communities in our location here. So we have uh, the Dedinga community and then the Topaza community. These two communities are very hostile to each other. So when we planted a church here, the Topaza and the Dedinga were able to meet together. So what they did, they helped reconcile. Those who accepted Christ, they were able to meet together and then they worshiped together, they became one. But in other areas whereby the church is not planted, the war still continues. Many blood is being shed every time. But we saw really a church can bring peace in a community. The mission of our ministry is letting the light occupy the land. And we see darkness manifesting itself in different forms. The greatest is spiritual darkness. Uh, there is intellectual darkness. There is darkness of hatred and uh, violence. There is socio-economic darkness. And we see as we are in this land, our ministry is to become hands and feet of Jesus and shine the light and let the light occupy the land. I see Nicodemus maybe finding his fellow warriors in the other village as friends. Even his friends who are raiders, they were 10 in number his gang of 10 men and six of them he has evangelized and they have come to Christ. When all these guys who are warriors come, they, they, they are not warriors for Christ. They are not taking the spears but they, and guns, they are taking the gospel to the, to the next tribes. I see this hope and I can see changes will be here in years to come. Jesus means everything to me. In the first place, I was lost. Uh, I was a sinner. I was a killer. I was robbing. I used to do many things which are not right. But when Christ came into my heart, I have now hope of being with the Lord.
I think when Christ is taken out of the equation, there's no hope in this country. I mean, governments can come with policies, but that cannot transform the hearts of people. It takes only the power of Christ to transform the hearts of people. If it's just empty philanthropy, helping people and doing that, there could never be hope. But when we are preaching Christ, who is the Prince of Peace, I'm sure ultimately the Prince of Peace will be able to bring peace to this country so there is hope.